Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello friends, Sarah Jane here. It's that time of year again where we are gearing up for a break between season three and season four. With that in mind, I have compiled my favorite episodes from season three for you to check out right now. I know that doing a daily podcast means that episodes get lost in the mix sometimes, and I want to make sure some of these really get a chance to shine. So I am entering into the holiday season with so much gratitude for all of you. Thank you so much for being here. And if you are looking for real-time content, I'll still be posting a new episode every Monday through the month of December, walking through, reflecting on the year, and planning for 2023. Enjoy today's episode. Today we are talking with Chi-Chi Agoram. Chi-Chi is a lifelong student of what it means to be fully human. She's a certified Enneagram teacher and practitioner in the narrative tradition and holds a Master of Arts in Clinical Mental Health Counseling and a post-master certif- certificate in Marriage and Family Therapy. She's the author of the upcoming book, The Enneagram for Black Liberation, available for pre-order now. Chi-Chi, welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. So as you know, we start every episode with Rosebud and Thorn. What are yours today? Um, my rose is that I am feeling, I'm finally feeling better. I've been sick um, over the last couple of weeks and I feel more like myself today, which is mm. wonderful. Oh yeah. I love that. Okay. So I feel like whenever I get sick, I don't realize how good it feels to not be sick until I kind of start this. It's like spring comes. Yes. I was thinking about that um, earlier this week, actually, because maybe it was last week. I didn't, if you had asked me in the first few days of being sick, if I felt, I don't know, sad or depressed or whatever, you know, and even those words feel more intense than I I would have described. I I would have just said, I don't feel good. I just feel fatigued and I need to lay down. But then when I started feeling better, I had this moment (laughs) where I felt so happy and it was such a stark contrast to the last few days that I was like, whoa, was I depressed? (laughs) Because this feels like I just took drugs. Like I feel so, I was dancing around my apartment. I felt so happy and I wouldn't have identified that that was so missing, you know, in the days where I was feeling really bad. But yeah. Yeah. It's almost like. Um, I don't know about you, but like when I'm sick, it's like almost like I just don't want to be in my body. And so like Mm. I can't feel joy to the depths I feel like that I would normally get to feel it. Absolutely. 
Mm. Okay, so what about your thorn? What's not, what's not going well? Or was that? Yeah, what about your thorn? Um, What's not going well? It's not that it's not going well. <laughs> um, I was just thinking about the difficulty, my current difficulty in balancing the demands of the external world, especially mm-hmm. right now, um, gearing up for book promotion and leading up to book publication, the demands of the external world in regards to how I'm supposed to show up and how often and how frequently and whatever, with my own (laughs) deep desire to just rest and be Mm -hmm. and divest from producing as a measure of worth or, you know, producing content enough times a week to convince you to buy my book. Mm -hmm. Um, So that that's like a, a hard balancing act at the moment. Cause I really, I really don't care. <laughs> and I just want, I just want to lay around and read a novel, honestly, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, we live in this world in which there's, there's an exchange required. And so that's just felt like a, a difficulty at the moment to find the balance. I am a hundred percent with you. Like on, if I could just do anything that I wanted, I would hide right now like I think like under a little rock and like my cozy little cocoon which I never thought that day would come you know as a seven (laughs) like I never thought this day would come but it does feel like but then yeah promoting a book is so visible Mm -hmm. so public Mm. yeah it is thanks for I'm definitely more of a private person in general, separate from, Mm -hmm. you know, any of this. So I definitely felt when I, when I announced the book at first, it was really well received, which was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I honestly wasn't expecting it to be that well received. And then I had to go on a walk halfway through the day because I was like, I feel anxious about being this visible. Mm -hmm. I don't like being this visible. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the balancing act. It is. I'm so glad you named that. I think we don't really talk about kind of when things do blow up or when things do go well, the grief that's in that as well. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And your bud, what are you looking forward to? Similarly on the same theme, I am looking forward to some of these conversations. Um, You know, I'm working on setting up a book tour, short mini virtual book tour currently, and I'm really excited about some of the people I'll be in conversation with around the themes of my book and um, really looking forward to just learning from people as well. I know that in those scenarios, you are supposed to be, as the author, you're supposed to be the person bringing all the knowledge, but um, I'm really excited to be in conversation with people that I admire and respect and can't wait to learn from. Hmm. Um, I'm sure whoever you're in conversation with feels the same about you. <laughs> you are like one of my favorite people to listen to talk about the Enneagram. Like you've done the summit before. And mm-hmm. I feel like your summit interview was like the one that changed me like the most. And like the way that I experienced the Enneagram and think about the Enneagram. Um, yeah, it impacted me more than probably any other interview I've done. Wow. Thank you for saying that. You can't mm-hmm. see me, but I have my hand on my heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm pausing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thank you for showing up for that. It's you. That's a big gift. Um, okay, so Chi-Chi, let's let's go to the beginning of your story. Like, what's your love story with Enneagram? How did you find it? How did do you wanted to study it and work with it? 
I love the way that you phrased that question. <laughs> What's your love yeah. story with the Instagram? Um, well, it didn't really begin as a love story, which is probably actually true for my actual <laughs> romantic life. <laughs> I was very unimpressed um, at the beginning. <laughs> wow, I'm noticing a theme here. Wow, interesting. Okay. Um, I was really unimpressed at the beginning. I was unsure. I was, I was skeptical. Um, I was in grad school at the time when I first heard about the Enneagram. And um, the person who had mentioned it to me, I, I didn't really fully trust that person's judgment. So I just kind mm. of threw it out. Um, and at the time we were using a lot of like Myers-Briggs and those sorts of personality typing tools for, um, the work we were doing. And so I was like, oh, that's fine. The Myers-Briggs works just fine. But then more mm -hmm. people that I knew and respected kept bringing it up. It kept showing up. Um, and I was like, all right, universe. So I think, I don't know that I even read a book first. I think what it was, was that I had a conversation with my friend, Annie Diamond, who's also an Enneagram um, teacher and practitioner. And she was just finishing up her training with the narrative Enneagram at the time. And we had a conversation about it and I was sold from just listening to her talk about um, the Enneagram, especially the narrative approach. At the time I was studying to be a therapist and narrative therapy is... Um, kind of the modality that I feel most comfortable with. So it was just definitely, it just felt very aligned. Um, mm -hmm. And the way that she explained it to me had so much more nuance and complexity and depth than just, oh, there are nine personality types. So that really was what intrigued me. And then I started reading about it and then um, got connected with the, with the narrative Enneagram and went for their first, the first um, six day intensive, which was like, I don't even, <laughs> I don't know mm -hmm. how to describe. Um, I went in expecting like a very cognitive, heady conversation mm -hmm. for six days. And I cried every single day <laughs> <laughs> um, from day one. Um, and I'm not, a, I, I don't, I don't cry in public often. So it was just mm -hmm. like, I was so moved by the level of vulnerability that was fostered in that space that allowed people to show up as who they were and be mm -hmm. honest about these stories that they, they've told themselves for years about who they have to be. It was really impactful and powerful. And I was like, okay, this, I want more of this. So mm -hmm. yeah, I ended up, you know, completing my training with them to be a teacher and practitioner. I actually start teaching as adjunct faculty this summer um, with them. Amazing. <laughs> which is exciting. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, it's, it's been more, yeah, I think that's fair to say it's been a more impactful tool for me in terms of my personal growth than any other personality typing tool I'd ever interacted with. I felt like it gave me language for things that I had always felt some things that I didn't even really pause to consider and then other things where I just thought I'm just weird I, it's just me I'm, mm -hmm. I'm the only one and I felt I lead with type four and you know uniqueness is is one of the words that's often associated with this type and I I say often that my experience being a part of T&E and going through that process and working with the Enneagram is that it gave me the freedom to not have to be unique it was such a relief to be like, oh, it's not just me. <laughs> there are so there are millions of other people just like this 
with this exact same story. It's not just me. And that feels really good. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I, the first training that I did was uh, more of that, like, like head up kind of training where I like, I learned it intellectually. And then I had a friend who I think Evan Barbie, who I think, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, invited me to come do some narrative trainings. And I was like, Oh, this, it's like deep. It really makes it human. Like it really puts behind it like this, it's like infused with compassion and humanity and you can't really see it the same. Like I feel like every time I interact with a panel, I'm like changed and I have, my compassion has grown. Yes. It's, it's such a beautiful, I don't, you can't really describe it. I just feel like <laughs> you got to be there. You know, you had to have been there. Mm-hmm. But that, that um, and I think particularly what struck me, uh, what what e does often uh, with panels is that they, especially with like, <clears throat> excuse me, introductory panels, they will start with type three. And I, I, I don't know if that's what gets me because we, you know, we mm-hmm. live in a, in a very three society and these are people who could very well sit on that panel and just perform for us and mm-hmm. say all the things that they think we want to hear and look really good. But every time I've listened to a three panel, to any panel really, but to threes who tend to begin those, um, those uh, trainings, it's just so much vulnerability and like sitting there and listening to someone say, you know, I have this story that I have to be seen as successful and capable. And so I do all of these things to try and earn acceptance and approval, but I'm just tired. I mean, mm. I don't know how that doesn't get yeah. you in your feels. It gets me in my feels every time. So, yeah, it's almost like we can't. It can be so easy with the Enneagram. And I think why sometimes it's initially off putting is that it can, we can simplify people with it if we're not careful. Like, oh, you're like just being such a three, but then like in the narrative or, you know, when really any kind of panel around it or discussion around like the actual human behind this number, we're like, oh, this is like a deep pain. Like, we're oh, we're discussing childhood wounds. These are like our like deepest hurts. Yeah. Mm. Which is why compassion is so central to this work. Hmm. Okay. So changing, kind of taking a little turn, Mm -hmm. um, you wrote a book called The Enneagram for Black Liberation. Yes. How, how did this, like, where did this start? Um, Incredible title. You know, what's been your journey with deciding to write the book, writing the book, speaking on this topic? Well, it's interesting, actually, but um, I trace the beginning of this to our conversation. Um, Don't make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We had that conversation for the summit Mm -hmm. last year, and you had reached out sometime early summer um, to ask if you could, well, no, that was in 2020. (laughs) What is time? Um, In 2020. (laughs) But you'd reached out in the summer of 2020 to ask if you could um, release our conversation, which was previously just for summit participants um, on your Instagram and podcast. And Mm -hmm. I said yes to that. Um, 
And, you know, people listened to that. And somebody reached out to me from uh, after listening to that conversation that we had. And she had she runs a writer's school in Canada. And <laughs> every time I tell this story, I'm like, this this actually doesn't make any sense. But then here we are. Um, yeah. She runs a writer's school. She had uh, listened to our conversation and sent me a really kind note about how impactful it was and um, mm. and all of that. But then she said, also, I really, you know, appreciate the way you teach. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's really profound. And we are looking for a masterclass teacher for our students this fall. I was wondering if you would be interested. Mm. Normally I do my due diligence and I'll, you know, do my research about the people and blah, blah, blah. Use a lot of my head. Mm-hmm. In this conversation, we set up a Zoom and um, maybe we talked for 30 minutes. It was really easy, easeful. My gut said yes. So I just went with my gut. I was like, sure, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really check to see the legitimacy of the school until like a month and a half later when it was close to uh, time for me to start prepping for the class and the list of other people who had taught there were like, mm-hmm. you know, Margaret Atwood, Ruth Ozeki. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't look because I would have said mm-hmm. I'm not qualified to do this. Ask somebody else. Oof. And so I was really glad that I didn't check, but it also then was like, what? So I posted mm-hmm. in my stories um, on my private account at the time, about this I was like I didn't check (laughs) but look Mm -hmm. at who the previous masterclass teachers are which then led to a friend of mine um Abby Robbins whose Mm -hmm. book The Conscious Enneagram just came out last year uh Abby reached out and was like actually what it was was that I I reposted a screenshot from the website of the school that had my bio and she had written the bio for me and she called me an author Mm -hmm. I have been writing yes. since I was a kid, but I have not published anything. And normally I would be, you know, conscientious and say, hey, I, you should probably edit that out. But I left it. I just, mm-hmm. I, I literally, I saw that and I laughed and I said, let's speak that into existence. I do want to yes. be an author. So let's just leave that there. And I posted about that and Abby reached out and said, hey, if you want any help with just like figuring out how to write a book proposal, um, I can share my experience, you know through being a first-time author, mm-hmm. and if that, that's helpful, great, um, which was really sweet. So we had a Zoom yeah. conversation, I think on a Friday, and then it was very, you know, they gave me really helpful information, and then on Monday or Tuesday, the very next week, I got another text from Abby that said, hey, so my editor just reached out to me and asked if there was anyone I would recommend um, to write a book about the Enneagram for Black folks or people of color. <gasps> can I give her your contact information? Oh my God. And once again, I would have, if I, if I, if I paused long enough, like if I gave myself too much time to think about it, I would have been like, Ooh, I'm not ready. You know, like I have been working on a book, but it's not, has nothing to do with the Enneagram. This is not what I you know, thought I was going to write this year. I don't know if I'm the best person, you know, all of the stories, mm. but I, I was just like, nope, we're not even going to give space for that. I'm just going to say, yes, send her my information and I'll freak out mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, so, yeah, that's what began the journey. Honestly, I met with um, Lisa, who became my editor and uh, pitched my idea and she loved it. And here we are. So it really wasn't my plan for 2020. I wasn't, you know, out here trying to write an Enneagram 
book, but mm-hmm. I had been talking about these concepts um, in conversations mm-hmm. and with people at TNE. And so it was a natural, when she asked me, what are you passionate about? I was like, well, I can tell you that really easily because I've been talking mm-hmm. about it and, um, and I'm good at writing. So I did it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Honestly, like this is such a testament to like next right action. Like, yes. okay, like I'm saying yes. I don't know what that's going to lead to. I have no understanding of where that's going and kind of being just met consistently by people who are like, oh, yes, that action resonates with me. Here's another opportunity. And like kind of following that instinct, um, there's just like a lot of, I mean, you're doing a lot of self-trust right now, which is like so hard. Yes, absolutely. But it's, it's, Mm. it's kind of, um, I can be an overthinker. I often say that my prefrontal cortex is way too active. And so (laughs) (laughs) I, it was really my goal. One of my goals for, for that year, for 2020 was to say yes more, but to just lead with my gut, you know, Mm. um, and just trust that whatever, you know, if it's not supposed to work, it will be clear that it's not supposed to work. And if it is, then the next right step will be made clear um, as opposed to trying to be seven or eight steps in the future, anticipating, you know, what people might want from me or whatever. And that mm-hmm. that really the other beautiful thing I would say about this process for me is that um, I'm, I'm the type of person who sets an intention for the year and I journal. I've journaled since I was I don't know, 10. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I like to go back and, and read journals and uh, from the year. But, you know, in 2020, we were all so excited about like a new decade or whatever. So I went back and I read through my journals from the last decade in mm-hmm. just just to catch up, be like, where, what has my journey been like for the last 10 years? And one of the things that struck me was that I had spent so much time, I'd spent seven out of those 10 years working so hard on personal growth and development and um, trying to become more self-aware, trying to take responsibility for my life. And I was really proud of the work that I had done, but I'd noticed how it started at the beginning, very shame-based, like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm realizing these things that are not great about myself, which means other people know these things, which means that that might lead to them not accepting me or not loving me or not wanting me. So let me work really hard to be a better version of myself so that I can gain their acceptance and love and approval. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, over time, mm-hmm. <laughs> that motiv- motivation became clear to me. And I was like, oh, okay, that's also something to heal because um, mm-hmm. this isn't actually about them or acceptance and belonging from them. Um so at the point, at, you know, at the start of 2022, I realized that I had spent so much time and energy and I'm just the kind of person that will continually be obsessed <laughs> with growth mm-hmm. and development and that sort of thing. And so my, the intention I set for 2020 was to rest and integrate, to stop. I had mm-hmm. this visual of um, a garden that I had worked for so many years on planting and tilling and fertilizing and doing all the things. And because I was spending so much of my energy um, looking for what's the next, like what's the next dry patch that needs to be fertilized and, and taken care of? What's the, what's the next thing I need to do to fix up the garden? 
that was taking my attention away from just enjoying the beauty that I had already cultivated. And that mm-hmm. was really my intention for 2020 was you've worked so hard. Just pause, just mm-hmm. integrate, stop doing. There will be more work to do in the future, but for right now, just trust that the work you have put in is enough and enjoy, like let the good things come to you. Enjoy what you have worked so hard to create. And so the fact that I got a book deal in 2020, for me personally, feels like a testament to that, that I wasn't Mm -hmm. striving in 2020. (laughs) I wasn't striving to create an image that I thought people wanted or that I thought would gain me anything. I, I, I mean, it was the beginning of the pandemic. I literally was stuck at home doing nothing <laughs> other than work, you know, but like I wasn't, there was no output. There was no striving. I was just going from day to day and in that space of resting and allowing myself to integrate this dream that I've had since I was a little girl came to me. Mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> so, yeah. And like what a, it's like what a cool muscle memory to build of like rest brings good things to me. Yes. Ah. Uh, yes. Um, it's not the striving, it's not the hustling, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does the Enneagram look like when it's for Black liberation? Like what is that – you know, how do we look at it differently from just kind of generally teaching the Enneagram, but then like, how do we do this better for the Black community? Well, so the premise of of the book I wrote, The Enneagram for Black Liberation, came from my experience being in a lot of like training where um, I was one of the only, if not the only um, Black Mm -hmm. person or person of color in the room. And how there were so many times when the conversations around the Enneagram, which I still see happen all the time um, online, but conversations around the Enneagram that center this narrative that our types are protective patterns that we needed when we were kids, but now as adults, we don't, you know, we don't need them anymore and um, that sort of thing. Those those conversations always kind of set off my internal alarm bells because it felt like a privileged conversation. For some people, the armor, the the you know, the armor of, of type is not necessary as much as it used to be. But for others, that armor is still necessary. And I felt like there weren't conversations around what it looks like to consider the fact that our well-being and our freedom is interconnected. It felt mm-hmm. very um, individualized, like, let me figure out how to work on my foreness and being a better for whatever that means, um, on my path to healing and wellness without considering Mm -hmm. the ways in which my armor. So I use the, I use the armor or the language of armor to describe, um, our type structures, um, because I think of it as armor that we put up between ourselves and potential pain and threat and, you know, sadness and Mm -hmm. disconnection and all of those things. And the idea here is that the armor is not the fullness of who we are. So I am Chi Chi. I utilize the armor of being a four to protect me from feeling undesirable, unlovable, unappreciated, but that armor is not the entirety of who I am. And so 
I believe that in order for us to actually access um, freedom and wellness and healing and liberation, we need to be able to create space, right? This is what's taught in the narrative tradition. We need to be able to create space between who we are and this armor that we use to navigate the world so that we don't confuse the fullness of our identity with just our survival strategies and understanding that those are two different things um, can give us access to more choice. So then I get to choose, when do I, when do I need this armor? Do I need it in this conversation with Sarah Jane right now or do I not? And I have choice to put it up or put it down. Specific to Black liberation, we live in a society in which for, for Black folks, our armor is still absolutely 100% necessary on a day-to-day ongoing basis. So if you're describing the path to growth as, you know, um, setting down, living an unarmored, undefended life, choosing vulnerability at all times, that is like a death sentence for certain people because we don't, you know, we live in a world in which that is not a protected option. Um, and so my question then was, what is what is my work as a Black woman? What's my work in terms of personal development with the Enneagram if I know that my armor is still necessary? And that's why my emphasis is on creating that space between self and armor so that I have choice because I recognize that there are times I will still need to have that armor up. And the last piece of that, too, is recognizing that our work is different. You know, your work as a white woman is different from my work as a black woman as it comes to, um, well, a lot of things. But as it pertains to, you know, Enneagram development work, I want us to be able to expand our conversations around um, this work from just the individualized, me-centered, you know, um, lens to really looking at how how does your armor as a seven um, mm-hmm who holds white privilege, how does your armor Mm -hmm. in that way make it less safe for somebody else within the circle to be able to put down their armor? So -hmm. rather than telling that person, oh, you need to be, you just need to practice more vulnerability. Mm -hmm. The question then becomes, how do I participate in the behaviors, the systems or whatever that makes it difficult for that person to lower their armor right now? Yeah, it almost feels like like my armor can be a weapon if not Mm -hmm. if I don't let it down. You know, it can cause harm. I don't. Yeah, like and make it uh, the armor can be both protective, right? It it protects you, it protects me. But mm -hmm. if I'm not, if I don't bring conscious awareness to it, then that. I will not recognize the ways of which my armor can harm others too. So I think one of the the easiest examples that I think of is using the type one stance where the armor of like, I want to do what's right. I want to do, you know, I want to be good really protects against that fear of being so bad that you, you know, are deemed worthless. And of course that is such a painful fear and it makes sense that the armor is there. And if you don't bring conscious awareness to that, you fail to see the ways in which that same desire to be good and to do the right thing can translate into a weapon that tells other people that who they are, what they're doing, how they're showing up is bad. Mm. 
right? So we have to be responsible for both, both ends. Yeah. And I'm almost, I'm kind of reminded of how many like Enneagram three black women that I've interacted with who have told me like, no, this is who I have to be in the world. And it would be gaslighting to say that they don't, that they don't have to work that hard. Because like in our, within our system, it, it is true. They do have to work harder than I do. And that's really messed up. <laughs> and I can't say to them that they don't because it would be, it would be like completely ignoring their reality. Right. And rather than, you know, saying, well, you need to just move towards, you know, the, um, <laughs> the higher side of three or whatever. Right. You know, I think the holistic question then is, what is my role in creating mm. a system that allows this black woman who has to carry this three armor mm-hmm. around that allows her to be able to put that down. Yeah. How can I use my privilege to make a, you know, dismantle a system or at least create an environment in the meantime where that's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Dang. And even, you know, part of, part of the realization also is that people who hold marginalized identities have to carry multiple layers of armor. So for example, mm-hmm. my, like I said before, I lead with type four. That's my, you know, regular armor. But in the U.S., um, existing as a Black woman, I have multiple other layers of armor. I have a, mm-hmm. a six armor that I carry on top of my four because I have to be vigilant, right? I have to keep mm-hmm. keep my wits about me and think about my safety at all times because there are actual threats to my safety. Um, I think of, of Black culture within the U.S. as seven culture, um, mm-hmm. actually. And so there's a, a little layer of that when it's like, it's just too much. We got to go to the memes. We got to go to the dancing. We got to go to the, you know, like, I just can't stay in the experience mm-hmm. of paying for any longer than this, or I will drown and die. There is the, you know, so there's multiple layers of armor that people who hold marginalized identities have to carry. And I think it is, it feels maddening to me then when it is condensed into this well you just need to be you need to work on being less blank without considering the societal the systemic factors uh that influence my need to carry that armor and how that work is our collective work it's not just chichi needs to work on I, i do have my own personal work for sure and like I was saying earlier, recognizing that this is a circle, even the map of the Enneagram, right? It's a circle. We're interconnected. There is no just individualized path to quote unquote wellness. And so what does it look like for us to recognize the ways in which our armor can become weaponized um, against others within the circle, especially when you have access to more power and privilege? I hear too, like, the compassion in the way that you're describing it is kind of innate in the language that you're using. It's like, because I I know at least for me, like so often with growth, I felt like I'm failing if I'm showing up too much, like a, like my seven structure, like Mm. I've let myself down or I've like, I'm not doing a good job. Um, But then when I, but that language of like 
sometimes, you know, I'm using my armor. Is this a place where that's necessary? Is this a place where that's um, harmful? And how can I pull back or make a different choice is so much more full of compassion for not only like yourself and your own growth process, but when we're interacting with others to be like, oh, wow. And like kind of noticing like, wow, they're really in their structure. They, there's something here that it makes them feel unsafe. And how can I create a space where they feel or are safer? Yes, absolutely. And then that for yourself as well. I think mm-hmm. that's why I'm so, um, the, the choice is the most important thing to me, especially when I'm thinking about Black folks. And But, but this, this is, this is true for all of us too, is that I, in my work with my type and when I'm working with other people, I think it's more helpful to ask when I notice my foreness really strong um, mm-hmm. rather than like, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. Or, you know, like you said, I've, I've failed myself in some way. Allowing that to be an invitation into curiosity around my core fear. Because that armor comes up automatically when that core fear is highlighted. So rather than shaming myself for showing up, you know, in the ways I thought I was more, quote unquote, you know, enlightened or whatever from, Mm -hmm. the question then becomes, oh, what in this moment is highlighting my fear of being abandoned? Can I pause Mm -hmm. and be with that fear and be with myself in it like you would with like a scared, you know, little kid? What what about what this person said or this scenario or whatever brings up this fear of being abandoned? Is that actually true? How can I make sure I'm not abandoning myself? And then doing that with each other as well. So rather than like, oh, you're being too much of a seven, what about this present moment is highlighting your fear of deprivation and of being trapped? Can you mm-hmm. be with it? And in that way, we have more access to choice because once I've I've been with that fear and I've sat with it, then I can ask better questions of is it actually true? Like did someone actually just leave me? In in which case, okay, like can I give myself space to grieve that? Um or is it is there something else going on and maybe I I need the armor less than I thought I did now that I've spent time being present with my actual need and my actual fear as opposed to just autopilot. With that kind of said for, and I think this is like specifically for, you know, black people who are listening, a black community who's here. Um, if they're just kind of starting this journey, they're just kind of waking up to like, I have this armor. Um, what's like one step they could kind of take right now to, yeah, like where, where do we start in this process of – and, and I, I started saying like for the black community just because I want to like really own that like this conversation is about them, <laughs> um, like not centering like white people. But also I think there's a combination of like our joint efforts um, of like white people's responsibility. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is where do we start <laughs> as we start to wake up to this concept where can we begin? That's a great question. Um, I would say that a good place to start is becoming more familiar with your armor so that you can start building familiar familiarity with who you are separate from the armor. Because if you think that all you are is that three armor or four or seven or whatever, 
then it would be really hard and maybe even unsettling to um, to start trying to understand or connect with who you are separate from that. And I think that there's a lot of power in being able to build a relationship with the fullness of who we are separate from. And so to that end, I think noticing, making a practice of noticing wh- who you're, what you're like when you feel most comfortable, most secure, most safe, um, most accepted, whether that's alone or with, you know, one or a few other people or whatever the scenario is like making note of like, what's the quality of the way that I show up in those spaces? Um, what do I notice about myself? What were parts of my personality um, might show up? Like when I am fully comfortable and feel really safe, I am really silly. Like I <laughs> can show up maybe a little bit like a seven actually. Um, but you will never see that part of me if I don't feel safe. And yeah, if I don't feel safe around you because my armor is not silly. My armor is put together. Um, my armor is serious. My armor is introspective. But when I get to put that down, I am lighthearted. I'm funny. Um, I'm all of these things that if I'm not doing this work to create space between my armor, I won't get access to frequently because I'm so focused on holding up the armor and making sure that everyone sees me as this put together, introspective, serious, wise person. Uh, That is so, so good. I'm like very carried away in this conversation. (laughs) I'm like, oh no, I'm just thinking about what she's saying and not thinking about what to ask. Um, Just good. I so appreciate you taking the time to come in and share that with us. Um, do you, is there anything lingering that you're like, I definitely want to make sure I get to to say this or share this before we go into rapid fire questions? No, I think I think I would just say that I am excited for people to read the book and interact with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about different armor for each of the nine types and there are like journal prompts in there. There's visualization exercises, there's metaphors. And I hope that it's, I hope that it's something that's accessible to a lot of people um, in terms of finding language for the armor that we use. Um, Mm. And also in building the practice of curiosity and compassion with ourselves. Mm. And y'all, Chi-Chi's not going to say this, but I'll say it for her. Um, pre-orders are a really big deal for mm-hmm. authors. And pre-orders are open right now for her book. So if you would, go ahead. I'll put the link in the bio. Just like go ahead, go grab your copy now so that we can make sure that this gets to lots and lots of people. Thank you. I'm yeah. really bad at marketing. <laughs> um, I it's it's harder when it's yourself. It it's just so much harder when it's your own stuff. Yes. Are you ready for rapid fire? Ooh, I think so. Yes. Okay. Dun dun dun. It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not hard. Um, the first book that comes to mind. First book, like a favorite mm-hmm. or just any book? Yeah, either. First one. I mean, I'm current. I'm at my desk right now, looking at Bell Hooks, all about love. <laughs> oh yes, we just. I actually just talked about that book last week on the podcast. Really? Um, 
yeah, it changed. Yeah, it's. I think it's a. It should be like required reading for every human. Yes, every human. If you're gonna try to be in relationship to another human in any way, read that <laughs> book. Read that book. <laughs> um, a favorite song. Hmm. Uh, Eternal Light by. Is it called Eternal Light? <laughs> by Chronics. Yes. Okay, so I don't know that one, but I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, something you wish people knew about you? I am really, I think I'm the funniest person I know. And I have really dark and inappropriate humor. And <laughs> I keep this under, my, my close friends all know. But everybody else thinks I'm really like serious because that's how I show up in the world. I am really funny and I'm very inappropriate and it's always dark. <laughs> yes, I love that. The, your dream day, what are you doing? Ooh, I am having a luxuriously slow morning with coffee and soft music playing. I have time to journal and just stare out the window um, and eat good food. Good food is a necessary mm -hmm. component of this entire day. Um, <laughs> maybe read a little bit, go on a walk. Ideally, I would just like to not have to see like I would love to have plans with people, but not until the later like evening. So I have half of the day to just be by myself and do whatever I want to do mm -hmm. and then have time with people I love later. Oh, that is a good day. What about your final meal? What are you eating? Oh, God. <laughs> this is a hard question because, oh, gosh, I really like food and it just feels unfair to have to pick <laughs> I mean, it can be – you're talking to a seven, so, like, just – I think of meal as, like, a variety plate. It can be all of the things. Oh, yeah. That is a very seven approach because I was thinking you got to <laughs> pick one thing. Uh, oh, gosh. This is so hard for me. Um, my final meal would be – I I can't. I, it's too much. It's too much for me. I can't do it. <laughs> I respect it. I respect it. Um, okay. So, um, if you were going to leave uh, people with some food for thought, just mm. something for them to kind of think about as they go through their day, what could that be? If you didn't have to perform for acceptance or love or belonging, who would you be free to be? And friends, I'll say again, link to pre-order. The Enneagram for Black Liberation is in the show notes just go from here to there. All you have to do is use the same app, go from here to there, click the link, grab it. You're not going to regret it. Chi Chi, thank you so much for taking this time to do this with me. It was just an absolute joy to talk to you. And I feel like I learned something new every single time we have a conversation. Thank you for having me. This was a delight. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.